1: Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times, I'm Matt Chorley. Thanks to everyone who got in touch about last week's episodes, especially the special with John Colshaw and Deborah Stevenson from Dead Ringers. Let us know what you're thinking by tweeting at timesredbox or email redbox at thetimes.co.uk. Now if you like what you hear on this or any of the podcasts we do and you would like to read more from our brilliant panellists, now is your chance. The Times and Sunday Times have got a sale on, just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Redbox. And click on subscribe and you'll pay just one pound a month for your first three months for a digital subscription, which means you can also get my morning red box political newsletter. Let's get down to business. This week I'm joined by Alice Thompson, the brilliant Times columnist and interviewer who wonders why MPs can't get proper maternity cover. The equally brilliant Eleni Career is part of the Times Parliamentary team thanks to the prestigious Anthony Howard Award. She casts an eye over the Lib Dem leadership contest and whether it really matters. But first, the even more brillianter Stephen Swinford. The brand new Times Deputy Political Editor makes his debut to talk about the other leadership contest and the man who will most likely be the next PM. Delighted to be here, Matt. The Boris Johnson fight back is on. Having spent the weekend huddled
2: in his bunker after it emerged that a row with his girlfriend led to the police being called, he's finally hit the campaign trail and done a succession of broadcast interviews. He's determined to turn the focus back to Brexit, but the questions about the incident with his partner are not going away. He's resolutely refusing to answer them. Is his position sustainable and does it actually matter?
1: OK, Steve, well, let's first of all talk about the fact that Boris has gone from being in a bunker to being suddenly everywhere. Is this, do you think, a result of Team Boris being stung by the criticism, most notably from Jeremy Hunt when he called him a coward for hiding away in a cupboard? I think, so their view of the Jeremy
2: Hunt criticism is actually, it doesn't play well for Jeremy Hunt. They are saying that the audience here is Tory activists, it's not members of the public, and they're saying Tory activists don't like this blue and blue stuff, they don't like it when they call, you know, people call each other cowards and stuff like that, and Boris has been very careful not to get personal back with Hunt and to go on the attack, but there's a wider question here of whether this partner issue is going to continue to dominate. It's still on the front pages today, and you know the rule of thumb, Matt, this is four splashes in a row on many front pages, and it's still going. So is it sustainable as a story? Will it keep going? And can Boris keep just refusing to answer questions about it?
1: Now, it struck me that when he did the, the Laura Koonsberg interview, which was a bit of a mess all round on his part, I thought, but when asked about it, he says, I never talk about my uh, family because I don't think it's fair to drag them in. I mean, partly because I'm not sure he knows necessarily where all of them are. But but then there's this weird business of the photo. You can't, on the one hand, plead privacy. and On the other hand, this photo of them sitting in a well, a garden that needs to cut its lawn, uh, has emerged as apparently proof that all is well with them, even though then he admitted on LBC that it's three, four, five, six weeks old.
2: Exactly. It, it looks like a straightforward double standards issue, but it actually speaks to the different arrangements within Boris's team. So Team Boris... Their suggestion was that he should say nothing about it; that it should be a private matter. But it looks like Carrie Simmons had a significant, his partner had a very significant role in possibly arranging this fo- this photo. Now we'll never know that what actually went on with that. But she is a f- formidable communications operator in her own right. She was formerly head at CCHQ, and it looks Boris Johnson and allies think that she was the driving force behind that picture. So it actually speaks to two different elements of the Boris team here.
1: And to what extent do you think there is an inbuilt tension here? Because it's, she's not just his girlfriend. As you were saying, she used to be the, the director of communications at the Tory party. Uh, she presumed that she would play a significant role in his leadership campaign, which doesn't seem to be happening. Is that all part of the the, the problem within Team Boys?
2: I think the immediate problem is how they deal with this extraordinary story about the domestic incident and the fracas in the home. So yes, there are wider, said to be wider tensions between her and Linton, and she said to have had, had some campaign, some concerns about the way the campaign was being done and the idea that he was being kept under cotton wool, all that kind of stuff. She wants the focus to be back on Brexit, um, but at the same time, it, it is a communications nightmare. How do you respond to a story like that where there is a tape circulating of Boris apparently shouting at Carrie? um over uh, some kind of disagreement uh possibly over emails or something like that in their
1: home
0: i'm surprised the tape hasn't come out actually the actual recording hasn't been made public public uh why do we think that is
1: it's interesting i mean the guardian are the ones who have the tape yeah um but yeah no it is given that everything else leaks these days i mean, given it actually as the guardian said that the you know they, they didn't name the neighbors to start with and then it took about 24 hours before <laughs> everyone knew everyone, the life and times of the...
0: And then that gave the story more life, didn't it? Well, who are these neighbours? What do they think? What do they vote for? And then the same with this photo. It was meant to draw a line under the Well, that's the thing, thing. The
3: Guardian's played it quite well because they've they, they've trickled out the information. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get the tape in a few days' time. That, But mm-hmm. actually, you can understand why they've done it. I mean, and and it, it's very disingenuous for anyone to say that other papers wouldn't do it or that we aren't all going for the story because it is... The story, that it is important for us. I mean, he does talk about character the whole time. It's all about the man. Therefore, you've got to really talk about his private life as well in the end, probably, because he, he never talks about the issues. I mean, he really doesn't talk about the issues like Brexit enough, I don't think.
1: One of the things that struck me is everyone says, oh, he's such a brilliant communicator, he can reach parts of the electorate that other people can't, is that how ham-fistedly he's avoided answering questions about it. The hustings on Saturday, the first opportunity when he, when he was asked about it, he just completely changed the subject and said so people don't want to talk about that and he started going about route master buses and open back.
3: Well actually that, he's always been like that and he's very um, I think it's fascinating because I, I used to share an office with him quite a long time at the Telegraph and he's very oh, course, good at yeah, chatting yeah. and he's funny and he's blustery but actually when I then saw him as the Foreign Secretary in the House of Commons you've seen him. He's not particularly good actually at the dispatch box. He's not good at set pieces he's only good at having learned a speech that he can then do on the dinner party circuit or you know he, he, he knows how to perform to a set piece, but he can't really do the question-answer sessions. And I thought it was really telling this weekend when he kept saying, "Oh, you know, we're nearly there, I've done enough. He, he didn't really want to do any of this stuff. Mm.
1: And yet, and yet, he's the, supposedly the one who can win over all these Tory MPs and Labour MPs so that his, whatever his Brexit deal is, can sell through the House of Commons.
0: I mean, yesterday he was saying he was going to get all of them to vote for no deal, which it was extraordinary, incredible. Yeah, so... Yeah. And
1: you're right, you're right, Alice, his, his ability to sell stuff from the dispatch box uh i mean having seen him it, you know phone off his questions and all that sort of, he's not very good
3: no, that's why mayor suited him, actually, because when you're mayor, you don't get asked that many questions and you don't have an opposite number who's constantly grilling you. Actually, what you tend to do is go out and about. He is That's what he was good at. He's good on zip wires. He looks great in those <laughs> photographs.
1: But it does seem like we've gone from famine to feast, Steve. We've gone from not him not doing anything to doing five events in one day.
2: Yeah, five events in one day, two broadcast interviews off the bat uh, this very morning. Uh, he's saying that the uh, stuff around the photo is extraneous and a waste of time and that we should be focusing instead on his Brexit policy, which is a good place to go and a good place to focus on. It is not quite clear what that policy is yet. And Amber Rudd was on the radio this morning. She's in the rival Hunt camp. And she was saying, look, Boris is a great persuader, um, but it's going to take more than persuasion. We need the details of this Brexit plan.
1: And actually, I was really struck watching his interview with Laura Koonsberg, just how just off the mark he seemed to be on the detail. At one point, he was smirking when even he... Could obviously tell that what he was saying was basically drivel about positive. E- we just need some positive energy, and there's some <laughs> where there's a will, there's a way, and and I mean, crucially, talking about how he's going to t- Theresa May's withdrawal agreement is dead, but there were bits of it that he's going to keep, and then we'll sort out the rest in the implementation period. But there is no implementation period. If there is no withdrawal agreement.
2: Exactly. So it's a kind of, sounds like a bit of a Frankenstein's monster of <laughs> Theresa May's uh, original deal. So we'll have to see what he actually ends up with. But he's not giving detail and probably deliberately so because the more detail he gives on gap 24 on other stuff the more people will pin him down and go for him over it and look he's amazingly far ahead with Tory activists it's worth remembering that he's winning this and he looks very likely to be the prime minister so where is the incentive for him to do this now it's not an election he's got to win over Tory activists
3: I think you're right that's why he smirks is that he knows it's a game he's got to give away absolutely nothing if he can he it's all about saying as little as you possibly can
1: But it stops being a game on July the 23rd, 24th, when he becomes Prime Minister and suddenly finds himself sitting in Down Street, the job that he's coveted for so long. And. No majority. No majority. But
3: someone to pay the party. Probably
1: worse maths in politics than there was previously. Uh, While he's saying he can get no Tory MPs to vote for no deal, there were a dozen Tory MPs saying they'll bring down the government rather than allow no deal. So at some point the game stops and it stops being funny and he has to try and do something
2: yeah and Stephen Barclay this morning who is the Brexit secretary he's a Boris Johnson backer he's done an interview where he's pointed out it's going to be a massive challenge for whoever comes in because the arithmetic has not changed and that very arithmetic is what would stop no deal from going through so that appears to be the reality that Boris faces come October 31st we'll have to see what he does about it.
1: Okay, quick quick counter-argument. What about... And I, I've i sort of... On the one hand, I think his... You know, never mind his relationship with... Carrie, his relationship with the truth is, is always worth pursuing. But what about the, the, the theory? And you speak to Tory MPs. They basically say, look, I know all that stuff. I know that he's bad at all of that stuff. However, at this point, he's the only one who might be able to get something through the House of Commons. That actually, if Jeremy Hunt won, that's not going to get Mark Francois and Andrew Bridgen and Steve Baker on side. So the only person who can really possibly stand any hope of getting some form of Brexit through is probably Boris Johnson. And that's at least worth a go. None of you look convinced.
3: (laughs) (laughs) He's he's got the same problem the other side, doesn't he? He's got a a group of 12 MPs. He's never going to get on side, really. I mean, unless he suddenly decides he wants a referendum. Or I mean, that's the thing with Boris. He's totally... It's impossible to really know what he's thinking or what he's going to do. And he can flip-flop all over the place, as he himself has admitted before that you, you just don't know. I mean, he could suddenly decide that, you know, he's, he's going to go the other way.
1: Write <laughs> <laughs> another two articles and then take, take a pick. I and mean,
2: <laughs> It feels to me, Matt, we're going for an election, right? That is what is in the drumbeat here. If he can't get this through the Commons, then he's getting ready for an election. And all the policies... So everyone was picking up on the 40p policy and slamming him for it. That mm-hmm. felt to me like an election pitch. That was a pitch to middle-class voters, to pensioners. It was strange, the timing of it, to bring it out when he did, but... That was a general election policy. It wasn't a policy to win the Tory leadership.
1: And this is this is massively increasing the amount of money you earn before you start paying the 40p tax rate, which is, lo and behold, according to the YouGov polling of Tory party members, massively popular uh, amongst them.
2: And this morning he's gone further. So he has t- suddenly started talking about raising the national insurance threshold, and that would be his priority. So what he's effectively saying is, I will do a massive load of tax cuts, and I will That's prioritise That was somebody else. Wasn't somebody else yeah, that early in the one a of the
1: dozen or so? I think Dom Sh- Raab made it, Rab, one of yeah, his yeah. Um,
2: first pledges. But I, I, he also, but like amidst all the the carry stuff and the Brexit stuff, there's big domestic policies. Today he announced that he's uh, borrowing Sajid Javid's pledge for twenty thousand extra police officers, um, and we've now. Got this new pledge to raise national insurance. So stuff is going on. It's just it's all being drowned out, as always, by Brexit and also his personal life.
3: But also he's doing it because he knows his audience. He's only got to get 160,000, and he knows exactly what they want. And even more importantly, Linton Crosby knows exactly what they need. And he's he is an election expert. He's done so many elections now, and the last couple haven't gone so well. But he he is the consummate professional when it comes to this. He'll know exactly how to tweak everything so that it goes to that audience and almost no-one else.
1: OK, just finally then, if you were advising Jeremy Hunt, what could he do to try and turn this around in the next three or four weeks? Uh. <laughs> 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 I think
0: Ge- I mean Call the police to Boris <laughs> yeah. flat.
1: Moving next door to Boris Johnson <laughs> yeah. with a tape recorder.
3: I think in in the end, I mean, everyone thinks it's going to be Boris that implodes. I think that, that's to a certain extent, it's that he shouldn't do too much blue on blue. It doesn't work. And he's not that type of man. If I were him, he's just got to keep going around the country, seeing all his great aunts, really, and <laughs> having lemon drizzle cake. And
1: you know, story that Jeremy Hunt said he'd done something like thirty-two yeah. interviews or something in a week. Yeah, so he's
2: he's done a ton of interviews. I, I, I think he probably needs to shift the dial I think he needs to go for it. I think the stuff he did in the Times calling him a coward it may not work with the Tory activists but it changed the narrative and changed the narrative this week and stung Boris so if he's to have any chance he needs to focus as much as he can on Boris's shortcomings as well as his own policy agenda because otherwise Boris is going to walk it
0: Basically, he needs to give stuff to the Times. That's what we have concluded. All leadership <laughs> candidates
1: should give stuff to the Times. Well, I, I, I contacted uh, people from both camps yesterday and asked how do you think the campaign's going out of 10? Jeremy Hunt, someone Jeremy Hunt's came back and said 9 out of 10. Didn't hear anything back from Boris Johnson's campaign. <laughs> so read into that what you will. Um, right, let's move on and talk about the other leadership contest that the entire nation is gripped by. This is Eleni.
0: Forget the Tory psychodrama. There's another leadership contest gripping the nation. The Liberal Democrats are in the process of choosing their next leader, replacing Vince Cable, who is set to step down in the same week as Theresa May. There are two contenders fighting it out, Ed Davey and Joe Swinson, both of whom were ministers in the coalition government. Who will win?
1: Don, then, who will win? <laughs> Let's answer your, your, your question first.
0: I wouldn't want to uh, be hostage to Fortune, but I, it, it, essentially the situation is Joe Swinson is the bookie's favourite and it's up to Ed Davey to turn that around somehow. A little bit like uh, Jeremy Hunt and Boris Johnson, but really not to the same extent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and what, what we're seeing is basically uh, people going into hustings and coming out saying, I actually don't know who I'm going to vote for because they're both really good, which, you know, seems it's, it, novel. It's a, sort of,
1: it's a bit of a shame for the Lib Dems that they're having this leadership contest being completely overshadowed, actually to the point that they are both going to be announced, I think, on the same day. Yes,
0: which is on incredible. July the 23rd. I don't really know why they've decided to do that, but there I, we are. Yeah. I, it it, 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 it this is the case, though, that Vince Cable can definitely say that he's gone out on a high. I mean, he's he was also elected unopposed, like Theresa May was, just a year uh, later than she was, and he's now about to step down, having brought the Lib Dems up to twenty percent in the polls. You know, both candidates are saying, "I could be prime minister. I want to be prime minister." Um, and, you know, he's he's managed to get Chuka Munna to come and defect to the Li- Liberal Democrats. For now. For now. <laughs> Until it goes off somewhere else. Uh, I think my favourite thing about the whole contest is that he said about both the candidates when he was asked, uh, I think by The Guardian, he was asked, what do you think of David and Joe Swenson? And he went... Uh, they're both okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're that's, good people. That's, yeah, that's uh, that's you know that's
1: nice. At least he's not. I'm um, sticking his um, head above the power of it. Alice, <laughs> does it matter the Lib Dem leadership contest?
0: Well, I think if you're
3: talking about blue on blue, at uh, the fact that actually now yellow on yellow isn't an, a factor, maybe to their advantage that we're not seeing them having these arguments. And actually, there's not that much difference between them, to be honest. But it, in a way, maybe it is better if it's in private. And maybe it would have been better with the Tories to have gone back, you know, a couple of generations when as William Hague was talking about. It was done in a totally different way and it was all quieter and you didn't have this huge public exposure for both characters, I think.
1: Steve, are you
2: gripped by it? I am quite gripped by it. I'm, one thing I wanted to talk about was the swearing, right? So Vince obviously has... Like, we, I can't say it on air, but... Here, no, you can.
1: You, I think you're allowed to. We, okay, we, we, well, we are unregulated. We right, say we're right.
2: unregulated. So, so the, the strapline bollocks to Brexit. Is that... Uh, obviously it's resonated and it did well in the European elections but is that where we are as a nation? Do we now have political campaigns which have swear lines in their total? I mean Joe Swinson's embraced it she did a piece in the Times the other day fully kind of saying yeah bollocks to Brexit and bollocks to Boris Bollocks to well. Boris. Mm-hmm. That was a piece of lot of swearing going on there. I'm always slightly uncomfortable with that level of swearing in the public discourse and I wonder mm-hmm.
1: what others think.
3: Well it's better than some of the sex in Vince's books isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's quite
1: That's mild. Well policy. actually Matt Hancock Matt Hancock said during the toy leadership contest that uh, he would got s*** <laughs> done and asked about Boris Johnson saying fuck business, he applied fuck, fuck business and then backed Boris Johnson anyway?
2: I guess it depends <laughs> on your audience, right? So if your audience is a load of Tory activists that you want to win round for the Tory leadership campaign... They do care about stuff like that, and they do care about swearing. Whereas, I guess the Liberal Democrats, people genuinely are furious about Brexit. That back the Liberal Democrats, so you probably get away with it more. But I'm always a little bit uncomfortable with it. It's, uh... They're
1: also, I suppose, they're a little bit sort of cheeky on the outside. Yeah, and also it's just attention seeking. I always remember one. I always struck me even when Nick Clegg was in the government, he never quite shook off that. Lib Dem attention seeking thing, like everything was the biggest attack on civil liberties since the Magna Carta and just because when you're writing your press releases as a Lib Dem leader in opposition you have to go mad about everything in the hope that someone will pick up your your strong language So what about the fact then that Lib Dems are what, second in the polls according to most of the pollsters now do we believe that is that really i think
3: actually what they're doing is almost what boris's campaign wanted to do which is be incredibly quiet and just sit there and actually you know they didn't really do very much for the last elections that they did incredibly well in they're they're basically they were so low in the polls but now now that i think they almost probably feel the less they say the more votes they're going to attract
1: there is a danger that that whoever whether it's ed dave or joe swinson ends up coming up with a sort of raft of policies of human rights for goldfish and you know banning (laughs) all cars by the end of the year and that sort of stuff and that will make people go oh god no i preferred it when i could just pretend that they agreed with me on everything um what about the labour party because obviously part of the reason why the lib dems are enjoying this surge is because they've got a very clear line on brexit if the labour party do is they might do this week but they were going to last week and the week before if they do move to being a full fully blown referendum and remain party does that kill this lib dem surge
0: I think partially in that if you're in a seat where, you know, the Lib Dems have got way behind everybody else, which is the case in a lot of seats, uh, and you want to vote according to your Brexit policy, then you're going to go with Labour if they've, they've completely come out in favour of a referendum. And presumably you support that too. So yeah, I think in those seats, the Lib Dems are not going to do as well as they would have hoped to do if Labour carries on with this ambiguous, constructive, ambiguity policy, or whatever we want to call it. There's an
2: issue of trust with Labour, right? Do you believe their position? The the position is so convoluted and so painful, and reporting on it has been, as we all know, a total nightmare. (laughs) 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 What do they actually think? What does Jeremy Corbyn think? Do you believe? So let's say they suddenly come out and back Remain. Do we believe Jeremy Corbyn genuinely backs Remain? a guy that has been a Eurosceptic for most of his public life and, and, and are, uh, apparently continues to be so in private? I, I don't
1: know. Uh, there's also a problem that if the public perception is that it's confused and brexit just another speech is not going to turn that around. No. In fact, I remember at the beginning of last year, he gave one of these big speeches laying out Labour's Brexit policy again and the number of people who were confused by Labour's policy went up in the month after that speech that sort of because they thought they knew what it was and then if they tried to move it actually just confuses even more people
3: well that's the problem is that the Lib Dems have a very very clear view and whatever else they're talking about you know anything as you say the green issues any anything like that you're never quite sure with them whereas on Brexit you absolutely know where they stand and you don't need to have any particular leader to know that so Labour are never going to be able to match that, really. If you're worried at all, you would go for the Lib Dems.
1: Do you think we should be giving the Lib Dems a harder time subjecting them to more scrutiny, given that where the polls are and given if we do have the general election, as Steve was talking about, there's a very high chance it's going to be a hung parliament in which the Lib Dems could play a significant role? Should we know what they're all about? You know, Ed Davey or Joe Swinson could end up being the, the kingmaker and all this
0: absolutely and i think they've both kind of ruled out going to coalition with the parties as they are so it, the question you know it begs the question what's the point then what are you what exactly are you going to do so i think you know they need to be asked in the in the case that there's a hung parliament of this kind, what will you do in that situation? Because otherwise, why would we? Why would anybody vote for them? I I'm man- always
3: fascinated that Arlene Foster hasn't come into this whole Tory leadership campaign yet because mm. actually she is going to be massively influential and we still have absolutely no idea. She hasn't really said much about what she thinks of either of the candidates. You assume she'd get on OK with Boris Johnson, you assume she'd get on OK with Jeremy Hunt. But if she really dislikes one of them, they're going to have even more of an issue, aren't they? Or if she, she's not prepared to work with them, we we have literally no idea what she's thinking of.
2: I think she likes Boris, that has been mm. clear. Boris went to DEP conference and was given this mm. kind of rapturous mm. hero's welcome when he talked about removing the backstop and all of that. So I, I suspect she thinks she can work mm. with both of them, but certainly... There's there's a, an alliance there tacitly with Boris, but I think she's just trying to stay out of it.
0: But she likes a DUP likes Gavin Williamson as, as well, particularly and he's obviously a key figure in the Boris campaign. And then he he was the one who uh, negotiated the confidence and supply agreement, so that that kind of makes him a key figure in that. And the fact
1: that he was removed from being chief whip is mm. seen as one of the th- yeah one of the many delightful decisions it too easily made which meant it all went so well. But I'm sure we'll come back to the uh, Lib Dem leadership uh, contest. My only um, concern is if Ed Davey becomes leader, when I worked at the Independent on Sunday, we once had a meeting with him on a barge in Birmingham uh, at the Lib Dem conference. You know, around the back of the conference centre there's a canal canal, and for some reason he's having all of his meetings on a barge and um, drink may have been taken the night before so we were all feeling slightly worse aware and the meeting went on for so long as the barge was gently rocking on the water and all of us were sort of slowly uh, nodding off it. for for some time afterwards anyone in a meeting after that who basically went on much too long that we'd entered <laughs> Ed Davy time um, as proof of uh, <laughs> of a meeting going on way too long but anyway I'm sure that'll be completely different if he ends up becoming Prime Minister and um, I'm <laughs> sure he doesn't listen to the podcast anyway so that'll be fine in a moment we'll talk about something that's been happening in Parliament we'll be back after this short break Welcome back to the Red Box Podcast. I'm joined in the studio by Stephen Swinford, Elinie Courier, and this is Alice Thompson.
3: After multiple miscarriages, the MP Stella Creasy has finally got pregnant, only to discover that she can't take maternity leave in Parliament. A century after the first woman became an MP, they're still not getting their basic rights. In the recent documentary about Margaret Thatcher, Robin Butler explains how the Prime Minister had to shut Carol in a cupboard in Downing Street. She was so embarrassed by her presence. Female MPs still have to pretend that they aren't mothers. One person tweeted to Stella that she should get an abortion. This must all now start to
1: change. This story has been extraordinary, Alice, because I thought, you know, in the last few years, there had been sort of changes. You know, there was talking about proxy voting and and all that. And yet this so they is... have
3: got proxy voting, but only for they're going to test it out for a year so that they've done part of it. And then actually there was a groundswell to have maternity leave. But what I found rather fascinating is there are people who don't want it. So Kemi Badenoch, and, uh, uh, who is pregnant at the moment, she said to me when I wrote a column about it, actually, I disagree with this. It's, she She doesn't think they should change the maternity rules. I find it rather ridiculous that there isn't any maternity provision. What happens is they're on full pay, so they have to make a decision. They either have to ignore the baby or they ignore the constituents, which seems completely wrong at the moment.
1: And crucially, the issue with Stella Crease is she wanted to take on another member of staff, uh, and IPSA told her she couldn't.
3: Yes, so, I mean, in any other sphere of life, if you go on maternity leave, someone tends to cover you, unless your job is completely redundant and irrelevant. in which case it shouldn't really be there should it so, <laughs> so it seems very odd not to have someone else and I can see some MPs want to use current staff and that's fine so that's what Kemi said she would like to use her own staff and just get them to do some extra work and some constituencies have more work than others and you can't get someone to, to you know to do make all the decisions for you so if it was a general election it would be quite complicated but actually there are MPs who get very ill as well you, you need to have some sort of provision and I don't mind the things we are going to mind paying for like you know all those MPs' expensive sort of extra sofas and
0: bath plugs and toilet seats.
3: But actually paying for someone to take your place and write to your constituents and sort out their problems while they're on maternity leave is not something I mind paying for.
1: And also, I don't know, it just really struck me how out of step it seems with the direction of the travel that I thought we were on in Parliament.
3: Well, even, you know, you look this week and we've got all the sort of new paternity rights. The rest of the country is on a different... Trajectory. And we're, you know, we do need our MPs to be doing vaguely similar things to us, just so that it feels like Parliament's becoming slightly more normal. And actually, all they need to do is give them the same provision as civil servants who have a very straightforward deal. And, you know, they get the first 26 weeks paid on pretty much full pay and then after that you go straight back to the statutory.
1: And actually part of the problem with this is the weird way that MPs are employed and that actually them and their staff are like 300, 650 small businesses mm. and it's all a very strange sort of setup. and you're right it's completely alien to anyone else's life experience.
3: Yes and I, I just think that actually it would make it would normalise it, would make us feel better and I think the time to do it is as they're changing so now they're leaving the palace for a bit and that it's all being updated and renovated that's when they should start looking at these sort of regulations and this wouldn't be a very hard change to make because actually it's already happened with the ministers. So if you are a minister, you do get maternity leave. Which is rather bizarre. Though. And they
1: do, and, and they bring someone in, don't they? Yeah, so, they, as maternity yes. cover. Yeah, 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 so you
3: get a maternity cover. Whereas if you're an MP, you don't. So it's already an anomaly there, I think.
0: It seems incredibly unfair as well to make the existing staff of an MP just shoulder on that extra work for however many months, just because you know they want to go on maternity leave. You definitely should have some kind of provision where somebody comes in and mm. takes over that. And work. it's
3: unfair on the constituents. I mean, yeah. you know, your MP is meant to be looking after their baby. You're either saying to them, "Come into the surgery with your baby." and you then feel guilty because you're asking them a question, they've got this tiny baby on their lap, or you're saying to them you're not going to get any help at all for the next few months.
0: And it really should be normalised that male MPs take more paternity leave as well and that they they end up spending more time with their newborn babies and, you know, get cover accordingly. So it shouldn't necessarily just be... Women MPs.
1: Steve, Theresa May's been trying to push the idea of extended paternity leave this week. Yeah, exactly. she has. Not just everyone just, is on board.
2: I just want to say I agree with everything Alice is saying. I think the situation is absolutely appalling. My daughter goes to the Commons nursery, and one of her uh, classmates in toddler room is Clifford, who's the son of Andrew Jenkins, a Tory MP. She's based in Yorkshire. There's a political aspect to this as well. I remember that when she was on maternity leave, she was getting dragged down. To the Commons, to for knife-edge votes and with extreme pressure from the whips, um, and having to turn up and vote. And if, like, you know, the baby was two months old, and she didn't want to be apart from her baby, but equally, you then throw the baby's routine into chaos. It was really, really hard. And I've spoken to her about it. It really affected her mental health. It was very, very difficult. So it isn't just the obligation to have on constituents in a hung Parliament there is very heavy pressure on new mothers to vote, and which seems absolutely abhorrent to me and totally wrong. I, I know from my own experience, routine is everything with kids, right? And if your routine is getting on a train from Yorkshire to London and trying to juggle childcare around voting in West, it's very, very
1: difficult, that. And they they managed to sort out proxy voting for... Tory MPs taking part in the leadership contest much more quickly than they yes, have exactly. got down to doing it in the comments. It's gone on,
2: it's gone on and on and
1: it, I, I don't understand it. Is. It's
3: also going to put women off so what I feel is that actually you either say right we want to have women who are of childbearing age as MPs and men actually. We want to have men who, who could be fathers at that stage although they've got a longer period but as we know from Boris um, but uh, I think there is there is a sense isn't there that, that That if you don't say we will make provisions and we will try and look after you, they are going to be put off. And I want to have those sort of women around. I think it's great that we've got younger women in the House of Commons. And I think we do need to support them. And it's not a big expense. The problem with the expenses scandal is there are elements of it that were ludicrous and that were irritating that we, you know, that the general public felt we don't get that. But this is almost the other way around. It's like the general public do get this and they don't. And so they need to sort out both the expenses and things like maternity provision.
1: And I thought there was an interview with um, Stella Creasy in the Time in Times Two, I think, on Monday, where she talked about this and how she was, yeah, you know, how she was basically having to choose between being, being a mother or being an MP, and those two things should not be mutually exclusive. And
3: when she talked about having miscarriages and turning up the next day, I mean, that's extraordinary. The amount of commitment some of these MPs show, and we always we like to slag them off, but you know, she showed huge commitment to her constituency when she was really going through a very very tough period in her personal
1: life. And actually, getting loads of grief is, you know. M- not being a Corbynista, mm. she does get an awful lot. She's one of those Labour MPs who gets a lot of grief from people who are ostensibly on her side mm. in the same party.
3: And but, you've got the Twitter, which for women is much worse. So they get these terrible replies to things. I was when when someone said just get an abortion. I did think how extraordinary. How could anyone actually type that out? I mean, you can't. How could you even think of putting that down when you know that this woman, you know, has had a real struggle to have a child. It's it's phenomenal.
1: The people people put on Twitter is extraordinary. Um, Steve, I asked you a second ago, but just Sorry. talk me through about um, Theresa May and paternity leave. It's uh, so, part of Theresa May's no, shovel it out of the door. It's a shovel it out of the door. She's, getting, she's, to, she's yeah. getting through a to do list. Um,
2: so she is proposing to extend paternity leave to 12 weeks, um, which is a, a kind of it's a policy that a lot of the candidates will be interested in. But like a lot of the policies that she's coming out with, she also had this amazing £27 billion splurge on education. Mm. I, I've seen one document which suggests she has 17 different policies, many of which are yet to be announced, which are all in the offing. And this has created <laughs> hell in the Cabinet. It's absolute havoc. <laughs> Philip Hammond is unleashed. He's totally furious about all of it. He says you're binding the hands of successors. You won't be surprised to hear that this paternity leave uh, stuff, however noble it is, has created a massive Cabinet row as well and also may never see the light of day. I'm told we're now talking about consultation rather than a policy. So it, is it there's an issue here, a wider issue of... Is is it right that Theresa May should effectively be trying to bind the hands of her successors with a succession of really big announcements?
1: You also can't help thinking that if she'd done a bit of this earlier, it might have created the the impression of a government doing things rather than just being completely absorbed by Brexit, it wasn't going anywhere?
2: These are big policies. like So on the school stuff, the £27 billion, yes, there's a row in Cabinet over it, but actually I reckon all the leadership candidates, one way or another, will make a similar pledge for a real terms increase in per-pupil spending, that that kind of stuff, right? It's 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 going to happen. It's just, is she the person to do that? But, but you're right. It's These are the burning injustices. This is the domestic policy agenda, and Brexit meant she could never get close to delivering it. So... It's all very well being galvanised now, but it, it is a little bit late.
1: I mean, it's one thing, binding the hands; It's also stealing the thunder. You know, If you're Boris Johnson <laughs> or Jeremy Hunt, when you get into number 10, you want to announce extra money for schools. And, you know, <laughs> but you don't do really... you
3: blame her? I mean, She must look at them all and think, you didn't help me. Why should I help you?
1: I know, but then I suppose the trouble is everyone sitting around the cabinet is thinking, well, we've been asking you to do X, Y and Z for three years if you think we're going to let you do this at the last possible minute just so you've got something on your epitaph other than losing three massive votes on your Brexit deal.
2: My my favourite thing, so in the row over, the 27 billion row over schools, at one point Philip Hammond actually considered resigning and genuinely said, which is just... it's a bit nuts if you think about it. There's so little of this current session left, and this current premiership left that yes, he could have resigned, but it would have been a, a bit of a strange thing with just what is it, a couple of months to go.
1: It seemed weird when Andrea Leadsom did it. If he did it like two weeks before Theresa May also left Downing but I suppose he probably thinks I'm not going to be chancellor anymore anyway.
2: And resignations yeah. ten a penny now anyway, aren't
1: they? They aren't what they were. Yeah. We do sort of now just you know we Google them to see who they are because quite often. accounting. It's absolutely fascinating. I think we've run out of time for this week. a reminder to, you can subscribe to the. Title online for a pound a month for three months if you go to thetimes.com.uk forward slash red box and hit subscribe. And you can also get my morning email there too. And tickets to my autumn tour, excitedly. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. But for now, my huge thanks to Steve, Alice and Eleni. And for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye.